What's up, Ace 12? How you guys doing tonight? Yes, man, I am so glad to be with you tonight, and I'm excited about what God is going to do in this place tonight. Are you excited? Yes. Listen, let me tell you something. When I say something like that, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what the pastor's supposed to say. The pastor's supposed to say something like, yeah, are you excited about God doing something here tonight? But let me tell you something. For me, for us, for our leaders, for our team, this isn't a go through the motions type of thing for us. This isn't just another Tuesday night. This is something that we prayed about. This is something that we have been seeking God on. And every night when we come into this place, we have an unbelievably high expectation that something incredible is going to happen in your life, that you are going to have an encounter with God no matter if you don't believe in God, no matter how far from God you are, or no matter how close to God you are, that you're going to have an encounter with God that draws you near to His self in some way. We pray for that every single week. In fact, the chair that you're sitting in right now has been prayed over multiple times by multiple people today because we come in here expecting God to do something. Because when God's word is open, when his spirit is present, we believe that God moves in the hearts and lives of people. This is not going through the motions for us. And I say that to you because that brings us to the series that we're in, this series that we've been doing called One Matters. This sort of tagline drives the, the mission of our church, 12 Stone Church. And really, you could sum up this whole series in sort of two statements. We'll put them up on the screen. And that says that you matter to God and you matter to us. And because you matter to God and because you matter to us, that is why we have high expectation for what happens in here. It's why we take this so seriously because we believe that there are some incredible things at stake when we have these conversations every Tuesday night. And you need to know that you matter to God. In fact, if you open up the scriptures and you read through the Bible, what the Bible is trying to communicate on every page of all of its scriptures is that you matter to God. That he cares deeply for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God loves you, he's pursuing you, and you matter to him. And so we're going into the last week of our series, and tonight I want to talk to you about this thought, one life matters. That one life matters, that every person individually, their life matters, and their life matters to God, and their life matters to us. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have ever lost something before, lost something that that matters to you? Something valuable. I know, uh, I know uh, maybe it's something like uh, uh, you've lost your purse, you've lost your wallet, you've lost uh, your phone. Dude, anybody ever lost their phone before and you're like freaking out? Anybody freak out when you lose your phone? I lost my, she said, I lost my phone at church. Dude, let me tell you something. You can lose your phone and you know it's not far, but you're freaking out. Like I'll be at home. I'm by myself. I was just on my phone like two minutes ago. And I reach down in my pocket, and I'm like, like, where'd it go? And I start freaking out. Anybody ever done that before? I actually saw a pretty funny vine on that. Check it out. Check out this vine. So funny. And, uh, but that's like, there's like this like freak out face that people have. They're like, oh my goodness, like where's my phone? And it's like in the couch cushion. Like I don't know who created couch cushions, but it's where you lose stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't stand couch cushions because of that. And, and so when you lose something valuable, listen, listen. When you lose something valuable, your mind is preoccupied on it. You become obsessed with it until you find it. 
Like, people ask me sometimes, they're like, Derek, let's be honest, man. Like, like, I've been to camp with you guys. I've been to dig with you guys. And, like, I think this rule that y'all have when we go to camp and dig about, like, no cell phones, I think that rule is so dumb. And I was going to say, I say, well, there's, like, four reasons why we do it. Let me tell you, but let me tell you one of the reasons. One of the reasons is this. I have been to countless camps and retreats and seen somebody on the camp or the retreat lose their phone. And they become so preoccupied with trying to find their phone in the distress of knowing that they don't have their phone that for the rest of the week they cannot focus on the reason that they're there in the first place being preoccupied with who God is and what he would have to say to them that they're literally distracted from what God would have for them because of just a phone that costs a couple hundred bucks. Like if I told you, if I told you that God would come to your house tonight and speak to you about something and it would cost you a thousand bucks, what would you say? I'd be like, bro, here it is, man. Like, let me, let me, let me find it. Let me figure it out. Like, I will figure it out. I want God to speak to me. The truth is, is that God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us in messages and things like this. But if we're so preoccupied on something, we can't hear his voice. That's why we, we have that rule to not take it to camp because we know that people can be distracted by what God would have to say to them because they're obsessed or preoccupied with that. So what are we going to talk about tonight? I want to tell you what preoccupies the mind of God. What is God's heart and mind obsessed with? I'm going to give you the conclusion at the beginning. It's us. It's you. It's mankind. It is the chief of his creation. When God created everything and he said it was good and he created man, he said it was very good. Man was created as the chief of God's creation. And God has looked upon us, and he has loved us, and he's cared for us, and he's pursued us, and he's done everything in his power to bring us back to himself. Even when we run astray, even when we're in rebellion, even when we're doing things our own way, even when we are ignoring him, God is pursuing us and chasing us. That is the heart of God. He wants us to find him. It's the reason Jesus says this, seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. He's saying, look, I'm not so far away from you that if you don't seek me, you won't find me. In fact, all you have to do is turn around. I'm right there. The problem is you're just running after your own things in your own life. All you have to do is turn around. I'm waiting on you. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. And there's a passage of Scripture that lays this out, and I want to I give it to you in Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, your worst center Bibles, there's one in your chair. You can open up to there. We'll have the Scripture up on the screen. But I want to show, show this to you. Here in a second. In fact, actually, before I jump into this, this particular passage of Scripture, let, let, me, let me say it like this. The more valuable the item or the thing is for you, the more obsessed you are when it comes to finding it. Make sense? I have a daughter, and her name is Abby. For those of y'all that haven't been to age 12 before, I talk about her a lot. In fact, we were talking with some youth pastors the other day, and they were like, oh, yeah, like uh, some of the residents were saying, oh, yeah, we, we make fun of Jeffrey, who's out at Flowery Branch. Like, we're like, yeah, how many times is he going to mention that he's engaged because he's engaged to be married and is getting married in a couple weeks? And, and they're like, we, yeah. And the residents at Sugarloaf were like, yeah, we make fun of Steve because he just had a baby, and his name is Judah. And they're like, how many times is, is he going to say Judah in a sermon? And people, I'm sure here are like, hey, I wonder if Derek's going to bring up Abby in the message because he talks about all the time. Here's the deal. You talk about the things that you love. I talk about my daughter because I love my daughter. I talk about Jesus because I love Jesus. We talk about the things that we love. You, we don't shy away from talking about what we love. If you say you love Jesus, but you don't never talk about him, what does that say about the way that you say that you love him? 
So my daughter, man, I love her so much. I got a picture of her actually so y'all can see her. She's cute as can be. I was taking her to the pool the other day, and uh, then it started thundering and lightning. And so I couldn't take her to the pool. So we're at the door, and I'm like, what am I going to do? Because she knows she's going to the pool. It's like, Daddy, pool, Daddy, pool. And I'm like, oh, no, we can't go to the pool. It's lightning. And uh, so we compromised, and, and I put her in a bubble bath with her bathing suit on. And she, like, played in the water with her bathing suit on or whatever. Survived that. But let me tell you about Abby. She's two and a half years old, and Abby is a daredevil. Like, if she can climb on it, she climbs on it. And then whatever she climbs on, she jumps off of it. She's got, like, this slide that's about this high, and you climb up the steps, you slide down the slide. The other day, I'm sitting there watching TV, and she's got the slide, and she's dragging it across the floor. And I'm like, Abby, what are you doing? And she just looks at me, and she's like, and she drags it over, and she's dragging it over to the edge of of something else so she can climb up even higher so she can jump off of it. She's crazy. And one of her favorite games is she likes to be chased. And so I chase her around all over the place, and she'll go hide. And Abby thinks that as long as she can't see you, you can't see her. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, she'll, like, get on the floor, and she'll do this. And I'll go over to, like, I can't see her. And I'll go over to her, and I'll, like, I'll, like grab her, and I'll, like, wrestle her or whatever. And she's like, Daddy, you find me. I'm like, yeah, bro, you're, like, right on the floor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you didn't go anywhere. And so, anyways, and, and because she's a daredevil, she's also an escape artist. She's two and a half years old. We have our house completely baby-proofed. She has figured out how to break into everything that's baby-proof. We have these doorknob things that lock on your door so, they, so kids cannot turn the doorknob. So what does she do? She just goes over and takes off the doorknob thing and then walks right in. She's a genius. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And, uh, and, and so they, we have this, like, gate at the top of the stairs and down at the bottom of the stairs and you have to, like, you know, push it in and, like, lift it up and, like, pull it out. She's figured out how to do this. So she, like, opens the gate by herself. She can unlock uh, the front door and walk out the front door. Yeah, kind of freaky. She's two and a half. So the other day, say it was about two weeks ago, I'm in the house. And she's sitting over on the couch being a good little girl. And I need to go get something out of one of the rooms in, in our house. And so I walked in the room. And I was in the room, like, two minutes. And I walked out of the room. And the couch is empty. Abby's gone. Ha, 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 Abby, that's funny. <laughs> I start looking around the house. I start looking and running. Abby, where are you at? Where are you at? I'm going to find you. I'm looking around. I'm looking around. She doesn't make a peep. I don't hear anything. I don't see anything. I can't find her. About 30 seconds, I start freaking out. Panic starts kicking in. I'm like, where in the world is my daughter at? My wife's not at home. I'm like, my wife's going to kill me. Like, I don't, like, I need to find her before Megan gets home. And, and like, so, so, so I run, and then I remember she can open the front door. And I'm like, oh, no, what if she's in the road? And so I run outside, and I'm searching around outside, and I can't find her outside. This is about two minutes in now, and I'm telling you, like, I'm about to have a heart attack. Like, like it's in those panic prayer modes. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like you, you're helpless. You don't know what to do. All you know how to do, what to do is panic and pray. So I'm panicking. I'm praying. I'm tearing through the house. I'm looking in closets. I'm looking behind clothes. I'm looking every place that I can to try to find my little girl. And I walk into my master bathroom. The light's off. I walk in there, and I walk over, and we have sort of like, like, a, like a wall, and then there's like kind of a half wall, and the toilet's like right here. And, and so I walk in the master be- bedroom, and I, our bathroom, and I walk over, and my daughter is on her knees on top of the toilet. She climbed up on top of the toilet. She's on top of the toilet, and when I walked around the corner, she goes, bah! and she busts out laughing. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you so much for your life. Like, I'm freaking out. Let, let, let me tell you, let me, let, 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 let. there is nothing, nothing 
that was going to stop me from finding my daughter. Nothing. You could have taken a briefcase with a million dollars in it and flashed it in front of me, and I would not even have been able to recognize what you had because I was so focused and preoccupied on finding my little girl. And in this passage in Luke chapter 15, I want you to see that this is the way God, this is the way Jesus is communicating to us the way that God wants to pursue us, how he pursues us in relationship. Check this out. Now, tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. I love that Jesus always had people that were unchurched, people who were far from God. These are the people that were like at the parties on the weekends. These are the people that you look at and you're like, man, if anybody gives their life to Jesus, it's not going to be these people. It, these are the people that have the shady Snapchat stories. Like these are the people, you know what I'm saying? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The religious people are like, man, they're taken aback. How is this guy welcoming in these sinners, these people who are, who are not like him? And they, they even had a saying back then. They had a saying that they, that they, would, they, would, uh, they, they would wish that God would obliterate any person who was a sinner. And they would make this statement, this declaration, like this was something that, that was deep in. They desired condemnation. They desired to, to put people down. They desired to put people in their place. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, I don't, I don't wish for condemnation. I wish for salvation, for redemption. I wish to bring people back into relationship with me. Then Jesus told this parable. So Jesus is talking to these guys, and he tells them three parables, three stories to illustrate something he wants to say. I want to talk about two of them. I want to highlight one of them, and I want to just kind of brush over one of them, but I want you to hear the stories. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. Then he calls his friends, his neighbors together, and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. He gives this picture of this, this shepherd who has 100 sheep, and one of them gets lost. And he says, wouldn't a shepherd go out to find that sheep? Everyone in this day would have understood that visual. I'll come back to that. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and carefully search until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You need to understand something about this coin that he's talking about. You're like, well, that's not a big deal. Like if I had like 10 quarters and I lost one of them, I wouldn't like bust out my flashlight and search my house and clean the whole house until I found this coin. That's not the type of coin he's talking about. This coin had a lot of value to it. In fact, it had sentimental value to it. What we know about this coin is that this would be a coin. They would collect these coins over their entire lifetime. This, this woman would have been saving up these coins all through her childhood. People would give her one of these coins as a special momentum. They were extremely valuable as sentimental value because these coins would go on the headdress of her wedding gown, of what she would wear on her wedding day. And so to, to discover that one of these were, were missing, this was a big deal. It would be like if you lost your wedding dress. It had sentimental value. 
Now I want you to see this. There is a, uh, uh, he goes on, he tells a third parable, which I'm going to teach on next week in the Back to School Bash. He tells a third parable about a lost son. And I want you to see how the value of these things increase as he's talking about the lost item. The first item is, is one in 100. The sheep is one in 100 that is lost. And sheep would represent possession. So it'd be like this. If you, if you lost your car, that's a pretty big deal, right? Like if somebody, if you walked out of your house one day and your car was missing, you'd be like, okay, bro, like what just happened? You know what I'm saying? Like I'm calling the police. Like I'm going searching. Like I'm going to figure something out with this situation. Same kind of deal. A sheep was like a possession like that. And he, he increases the value. Next, he talks about this woman's headdress, these coins. These have sentimental value to them. And things that are of sentimental value carry more value than things that have possession value. Let me give you an illustration of that. If you've ever met someone or know someone who's had their house burned down before, they don't talk about the expensive stuff in their house that was burned up. What they talk about is, man, I lost my wedding album. I lost my baby pictures. I lost a family heirloom. I lost some jewelry that was passed down from my grandmother. They talk about the sentimental things because things of sentimental value have something higher than things of material value. But then he increases it in the next story, and he talks about a son, one and two. This guy who had two sons, and one of his sons decides to take his inheritance early and walk away and leave the home. And this guy has a lost son, and he talks about this value of a human life and how valuable the human life is over sentimental value. In fact, you can see the progression. If your house burned down, and you lost your wedding albums, and you lost your baby pictures, you lost all that stuff, but you also lost your kid you're not going to be talking about the wedding albums and the family heirlooms. You're going to be talking about the fact that you lost your kid. The value of it is increasing as he goes. And the point of this that Jesus is making is that, man, these are serious, serious things that people lose and look for. And what he's saying is, is that this is why I am spending time with these sinners. This is why I'm spending time with the people that you want to reject. This is why I'm spending time with them because they need to know the message. They are so incredibly valuable to God, every single one of them. Every person that doesn't know me is so valuable to God. And you have to hear this, religious people. Stop thinking that you got it all together, that you're the one who's valuable. No, no, listen, listen. You've been found. This is why he says that there's more rejoicing over one sinner that repents than 99 righteous people, churched people that don't. That God would rather one person come to the back of school bash and give his life to Jesus than for you to invite 99 of your church friends from churches all over the area where none of them need to repent because they already have. This is what he's saying. The people that are far from God are so valuable to God. And I want you to see this in this passage. We are the sheep and God is the shepherd. We are the sheep and God is the shepherd. Now, the sheep are not the valedictorians of the animal kingdom. That what we know about sheep is they're not very smart. And what we know about the role of the shepherd is the shepherd was the provider and the protector of the sheep. Let me tell you what that means. The, the, the shepherd would direct the sheep where they would go and eat. And they would eat in the fields. And then when, when it was time for them to take them to go drink, the shepherds would move them to the river where they would drink. And then they would move them to other fields. It, 
you were to take the sheep and leave them in the field and the shepherd would not direct them, they would eat all the grass in that field and they would starve to death in that field because they need the shepherd to direct them. Now, what you have to understand about this day is, is that the terrain was pretty rough. They had a lot of cliffs. It was rocky. It was pretty nasty terrain. So the shepherd would make sure that the sheep stayed all together so that when they would feed in the flocks and they would stay all together, he could keep an eye on them so that if they wouldn't wander off and fall off a cliff because sheep are kind of ADD. They'd be over there eating, and they'd be like, oh, shiny thing. You know what I'm saying? They'd go over, and they boop, they just fall off the cliff. Like, that's what they do. And, and, and what a sheep, uh, and a sheep, what a sheep does is, and, and this is important, a sheep doesn't know that he's in danger when he's wandering. He doesn't know that he's in danger because he has lived his whole life under the protection of the shepherd. Here's the truth. People often don't understand the danger of their wandering when they wander away from God. They don't understand the danger. They don't see it. And he's drawing this picture for us, letting us know, and listen, listen, sheep can't really protect themselves because sheep are not very scary animals. Make sense? Yeah. Sheep are not very scary animals. Like, like nobody's, nobody's ever said, like, lions and tigers and sheep. Oh, my. Right? Like, nobody's ever been ready to go hiking, and they're, they're getting their buddies ready. Like, All right, man, let's go hiking. Hey, man, if somebody got the gun, because, man, we really don't want to run any sheep up there on the mountain. Never. Like, that, that's never happened, right? Like, like, sheep are cut. In fact, I got a picture of a sheep. Check this sheep out. Look how cute they are. They're like cotton balls with legs and a head. You know what I'm saying? They're helpless. And so prey can come and attack them. And so part of the, the shepherd's role is to protect them from, from anybody that would, or, or anything that would try to come in to attack them. Listen, this is why that's important. Every person listening to Jesus would have understood this. A lost sheep is a dead sheep. A lost sheep is a dead sheep. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time before a predator finds them. It's a matter of time before they fall off a cliff. It's a matter of time. A lost sheep is a dead sheep. And so everybody that was listening to Jesus, the religious and the sinner, everybody that was listening would have understood, and Jesus would have been saying this to the center of the crowd. He would have been saying to them, listen, every sheep, every person that is not near the shepherd is lost. And unless found, there's only death that awaits. That we have a soul, we have a spiritual body. And the truth is, is that we all are going to die physically, but because you have a soul, because you have a, a spiritual body, your soul, your soul lives forever. And the Bible tells us that there's spiritual death that awaits all of us apart from turning to God. This is the condition that we're all in. It's what Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. And we all have sin in our life. We've all done things in our life that we're not proud of before God. And what he's telling us here is that, hey, listen, I love these people and this is what awaits them. And as their shepherd, I want to draw them in. I want to protect them. I'm going after them. I'm pursuing them so that they don't have to experience spiritual death and separation from God forever. And to the religious, he's challenging them here, but I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about this for a minute. 
one of the things I think he would say to us is this, is that we're all prone to wonder. We all are. That every single one of us can see the shiny things of the world and be like, oh, I'm going to go check that out. I'm going to go get involved in that. We're all prone to wander into things that are ungodly. We're all prone to wander into things that can take us out, that can trip us up. And God is our shepherd is warning us here. He's saying, listen, stay near to the shepherd so that you don't wander away. Keep your eyes on the shepherd so that you don't wander away. And sometimes we see disobedience with God as a one-time proposition. Hey, you know what, man? It's not a big deal, dude. It's harmless, dude. It's harmless. I'm just going on one date with her. Like, I know she doesn't love Jesus. I know, like, man, I, like, bro, I'm not trying to get married. It's, it's one date. Hey, man, it's not a big deal, bro. It's just one look at porn. It's not a big deal. Hey, man, it's not a big deal, dude. It's just one toke, man. It's not a big deal. Hey, man, it's not a big deal. It's just one whatever, fill in the blank. And the truth is, is that in our disobedience, we think that it's just a one-time proposition, but it always sucks us in and causes us to wander. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but in those times of wondering, if you're a believer in here and you're like, man, you know what? I haven't been close to God lately, and I've been kind of wondering. I've been kind of doing my own thing. And you sense that God is kind of drawing you back to himself. You can sense, you can hear the voice of the shepherd off in the distance, like yelling out your name. Derek, Derek, where are you? And what I want you to hear is this, and I think this is extremely important for you to know. The sheep wander off from the shepherd. The shepherd does not wander off from the sheep. If you are distant from God, it is not because God has distanced himself from you. It is because you have distanced yourself from God. And if you're a believer in here and you call yourself a leader, I want to challenge you this semester to, to lean in, to grow deeper, to stop allowing the shiny things of this world to pull at your attention and stop wandering away. Because I want you to begin to develop the heart of the shepherd. The second point I want to make is the sheep have infinite value to the shepherd. They have infinite value to the shepherd. If, 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 you have a, if you have a dollar bill and you lose it at your house, how long are you going to look for it? Five minutes, ten minutes. Who would look for more than ten minutes for a dollar bill if you lost your house? Who would look more than 20 minutes? Who would look more than 30 minutes? Man, y'all are poor. You know what I'm saying? It's a freaking dollar. Like you can't even buy, you can't even buy a cheeseburger at McDonald's for a dollar. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to pay tax. My point is, you're not going to look, you, you might look 20 minutes, you might look all day for, 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 your, for that. How about a cell phone? What if you lost a phone? Who would look all day? Who would look all week? Who would look all year? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're like, I'll oh, forget that. I'll just buy another one. Yeah, man, I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. How about this? How about this? How about this? How about this? What if, what if, you lost a kid. How long would you look? Hey, listen, listen. You don't look. <laughs> you're not at the mall walking around, and all of a sudden you turn around and your kid's gone, and you don't look for 10 minutes and go, well, I looked for 10 minutes. I tried. I'm going home. Right? Hey, listen, listen. When you see, when you, I see these stories all the time. When you see a parent whose kid went missing, there's parents whose kids went missing 30 years ago, and they are still holding out hope. They are still looking. They are still searching. They are still praying that their kid, who is now an adult, will turn up one day. You don't stop searching. 
You don't stop looking because the, the higher the value, the more you look. And you have an infinite value when it comes to God. Sometimes we can think that, man, we're not worth, we're not worth all that fuss. We're not worth God giving us that much attention. But the truth is, is that nothing in these stories, not one item in any of these stories deserved, deserved being chased after and found. They didn't deserve all the fuss. In fact, the coin wasn't putting up a fuss at all, and neither was the sheep. It was the shepherd that had all the fuss. It was the woman looking for it that had all the fuss. And God is freaking out about the people that don't know him. He is pursuing them. He is chasing after them. And he wants to get their attention. And listen, listen, listen. And he has placed you in those people's lives to help get their attention. He's given you the message so that they can hear the message through you so that they can be changed. He's using you as his game plan to find the sheep. So here's some of the imagery that you need to see in this. Most of the time, these sheep were actually not owned by individuals. They were owned by the village. And so they would have several shepherds that would take the sheep out. They would take them to the grazing lands and all that stuff. And then they would come back in the evening. And if they would come back in the evening to the the village and one of the shepherds were still out looking for a sheep that was lost, everyone in the village would wait in anticipation for the shepherd to come back to the village looking at the horizon, waiting to see him with the sheep over his shoulder coming in to the village. And then they would celebrate and throw a big party because the shepherd was okay and the sheep was found. And this is the imagery that the Bible gives of what happens in heaven when someone comes to know Jesus. The Bible tells us that there's more rejoicing in heaven, that there's a celebration going on, that the angels are rejoicing when one person comes to know him because all of heaven is waiting in anticipation for every person, the one person, the one matters for every person to cross the line of salvation and to come into the kingdom. So I want to close out with this thought. A challenge question for you. Do you have the heart of a shepherd? Do you have the heart of the shepherd? Do you care about lost people? Do you feel feel the weight of what it means to be lost? Remember, lost sheep are dead sheep. It reminds me of an analogy that I've used before. I used it several years ago. And it reminds me of, of, of this analogy that every person in this room in your lifetime will be affected in some way by cancer. Every one of you will. I have been many, many, many times. Our high school ministry admin, who is a rock star and who uh, led in high school ministry here for, you know, over like 16 years she was here and, and leading in this ministry, was my admin almost the entire time that I was here, passed away of cancer earlier this year. Family members, friends, Cancer is a serious thing. And I just want you to imagine for a minute. Let's say that I discovered the cure for cancer. Of every cancer, that I discovered how every cancer could be cured and healed. Think about the impact of that. 
Think about how many people's mommies and how many people's daddies and how many people's children and how many people's brothers and sisters, how many people's friends could be saved by just the information that I have of the cure for cancer. And then what if I kept it to myself and didn't tell anybody? She said, I'll come after you. You would say that is evil. Because it is evil. Listen, listen, listen. How much more evil is it that you have the cure for hell and you don't tell anybody about it? It's one thing getting cancer and dying here on earth. It's another thing to be spiritually dead for eternity. This is why this is so serious to God, and this is why it should be so serious to you. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great, uh, great preacher of 100 years ago, he said this. He said, he said, have you no wish for people to be saved? Then you were certainly not saved yourself. That there's something about the fact that when you've been rescued by the shepherd, the heart of the shepherd is placed in you, and you have a desire to shepherd people, you have a desire to see those that are lost be found.